Welcome to the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, where it's all about slashing your debt, slashing your taxes, and creating a liberated lifestyle. And now, your host, who has a vast collection of vintage DC and Marvel comic books, and ironically lives in Minnesota, where his favorite NBA team, the LA Lakers, originated, Dave Denniston. Welcome back, my friends, to another episode of the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping doctors like you slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. Here on this episode, I have the pleasure of having a guest who has been with us not once, not twice, but now three times. He's someone that I consider a, a friend. He is a blogger. He has um, been going through this journey since we, we first had him on about two or three years ago now. I'm going to link back to all the, the show notes, and he has transitioned from a resident to a fellow to now an attending physician. Welcome back to the podcast, Dr. Bo Lou. Bo, how you doing? Hi, Dave. Thanks for having me back. It's a pleasure, as always. Well, it's, um, it's, it's an amazing journey um, that, that each of us go on, and, and I think yours is, is particularly uh, fascinating with being an immigrant. And We're recording this at the very, very, very end of March 2020 as COVID, the coronavirus is, is running rampant out there, and um, I'm certain um, I know you have, you have family back in China, um, where you came from. Um, give, give us a little update on how things are, are going for you, how, the, how your health is, how the, the health is, and, and the experience of people back at home. Um, yes, thank you for asking. Uh, my family, uh, as you know, a, a good majority are in, still in China. Uh, my hometown is a city in the Northeast called Harbin, H-A-R-B-I-N. Uh, luckily, uh, none of my family member fell sick to uh, this COVID-19 illness, um, you know, they, they have recently finished the uh, na nationwide lockdown and uh, is uh, starting to kind of return to normal daily activities with a uh, gradual opening of uh, local businesses such as restaurants and, you know, stores. So uh, those are good things. It's uh, definitely very interesting to go from, you know, in January, late January and February, you know, my, my family members were uh, contacting me and asking me if I could send them, you know, personal protection equipment, uh, PPE, mm. you know, masks and uh, N95s and such. And, you know, it's uh, at that time, you could have never thought that this, this was going to be the case here. Um, as of right now, in late March in the United States, um, we're number one in confirmed cases around the, around the world. Uh, so it's it's very interesting because the messages I'm getting from my family now in China are very different. It's basically all messages of, uh, you know, make sure to protect yourself, make sure to wear masks, wash your hands. So it's uh, more of a concern and, you know, basically trying to help me out. Um, as you know, we're all experiencing shortages in uh, PPE in the United States. Um, so it's, a, it's definitely interesting to see how that whole discussion turned around in the time span of a month. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's literally just six weeks ago when I think we had our first couple of confirmed cases here. And, and, um, I have to imagine that, that, um, in, in China, you know, they were able to do a lot more effective 
lockdowns. What, what was it like um, economically, you know, for your family there? Like, were they able to make it? You know, how, how hard uh, was it financially for someone living in China? Yeah, I think it's a, a slightly different system because I don't think that was really part of the consideration. Obviously, they shut the entire economy down. You know, like, for example, we, we still have domestic flights. But my understanding was, you know, the trains were shut down, the domestic in China, the trains were shut down, the domestic flights were shut down, that even the buses in the city aren't allowed to run. So I'm sure a lot of people was uh, hurting. Uh, luckily, in my family, you know, nobody's really complained. Uh, and, and one of the benefits, I think, being in that culture is the there's a lot of emphasis on savings. So uh, most people, most families have enough uh, saved up to kind of tolerate you know, a month of uh, basically a safety net for themselves for about a month. So I think uh, because of that, you know, none of my family members have really experienced a dramatic financial crisis. Um, and I think a lot of that is just a cultural difference between uh, the, the, the Chinese culture and uh, what we have here. That's that's so interesting. So so many things we could we could talk about there, but let's let's talk about you a little bit. So last time we talked, I think you were you're in your last year of residency, about to transition to fellowship, and you're a radiologist, interventional radiologist. Is that right? Yes, correct. Um, so tell us about yeah. that journey, going going uh, finishing finishing residency and starting practice. Um, yeah, so it's uh, very exciting. The last six months have been uh, very interesting. So just for, for uh, listeners who are not familiar, uh, interventional radiology uh, used to be a subspecialty out of radiology. Um, it has since then become its own independent specialty uh, that medical students can apply directly into out of medical school now. Uh, in fact, it's um, because perhaps because of its newness, it's also the most competitive specialty uh, for anybody to try to match into. Uh, straight out of medical school. So um, the uh, journey is um, after medical school, you do a year of internship, you do four years of diagnostic radiology residency, and you do one year of interventional radiology fellowship. And that's the old training paradigm, which is the one that I, I uh, recently graduated from. Um, the transition uh, is uh, pretty interesting. So when I first uh, took my new job as I joined a private practice group in upstate New York. And it's, uh, I found myself thinking a lot uh, more about even routine things like uh, minor procedures that when I was a fellow, you know, would just jump into and do without really thinking too much about the negative things that can come out of it. And I think a lot of that is having to be responsible, right? Because when you're a trainee, Ultimately, there's someone else that's responsible for your actions, even if you are the you know primary operator, so to speak. Right. Um, so I think the mentality shift is probably the biggest thing I had to come to grasp with. Um, luckily, I think um, my training has prepared me well for the job, so it didn't take very long. Um, I would say probably two to three months for me to kind of get up to speed. Um, and I, I think now it's uh, you know uh, aside from the uh, the decrease in the volume of patients and cases that we do, um, everything else is going relatively smoothly now. And so um, with, with that transition, of course, you, you get, a, at least normally, a huge bump in pay. So how, how um, have you been thinking about 
everything from buying a house to um, student loans. Because you mentioned that that um, you're in in private practice now, so you have some options there. To more retirement savings. You know, tell us how you're grappling with all these different decisions now that more money has been coming in the door. Um, yeah, of course. Uh, as you can imagine, the the pay bump is quite substantial. Um, I am very happy about that, and I think any uh, graduating resident or fellow who are transitioning to their first job is also going to be uh, pleasantly surprised. Uh, maybe not surprised, just you know, very happy. Um, the uh, what I chose to do regarding the house situation, um, I recommend to most people that don't buy a house in the first year. Uh, because you should be focusing on transitioning into your role as an attending physician. So that's going to take some time to come to terms with, you know, no matter where you go, what kind of job you take, there's going to be some um, difficulties and some uh, details at work that you're going to take your time and attention to, to make sure it's smooth and also to educate yourself, uh, you know, be assimilated into the local um, culture and uh, medical environment. Um, so I think, you know, I'm not preparing to purchase a house yet. Uh, I'll start approaching that topic after about a year. Uh, with regard to the student loans question, uh, most of uh, my readers and uh, your listeners know that I usually would recommend public service loan forgiveness mm-hmm. for uh, medical graduates. Um, and, and I myself, uh, I'm still currently on the PSL, uh, PSLF program. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm on the income-based repayment uh, given that I am in private practice, my current employment and uh, monthly payment won't actually qualify for the uh, public service loan forgiveness. However, uh, at the moment, I'm choosing a wait and see approach because I uh, wanted to make sure that if, uh, if I were to return to a public service uh, employer in the future, that I still have this as an option. Um, as you know, uh, once you uh, get off the uh, PSLF, then you wouldn't be able to get back in necessarily. And how are you, I guess, thinking like at some point, you probably don't want to delay that decision forever, right? Like if you stay with your current group uh, another year, you know, you're, you're going to certainly your monthly payments, I imagine, would be jumping because you have a higher salary than you did before yep. and yep. You, you'd be starting to pay it down anyhow. Um, and with exactly. interest rate, interest rates being so crazy low, I have to imagine that you're thinking about refinancing. Um, that would be a thought on my mind, at least if I were in your shoes. Yeah, correct. So I'm giving myself a, a year. So as you know, the, uh, the uh, in, income recertification happens on a, a annual basis. And basically I have till next June, um, to, or I guess, sorry, this June to, uh, to recertify my income. So that will give me almost about a year to decide what I need to do with the student loan. So I'm definitely, especially given the current economic environment, I'm definitely looking into refinancing as a possibility um, at the moment. Um, we're just kind of waiting to see where it goes. So you're, you're going to have a few months left to go to, uh, for that, that kind of line in the sand you, you drew for yourself. Um, yeah, and, and technically, I can really go till next year because, uh, as you can imagine, most of my income last year was still a fellow income. Yes. So my IBR is not going to be super, a payment is not going to be super high. It's not going to be at a full 
attending physician salary payment yet, but it's going to creep up, and then next year it's going to jump to a full um, IBR based on uh, the full attending salary. The decisions we have to make, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely, definitely a thing. Have you thought about um, paying more than kind of the minimum payments for IBR just to, to um, make sure the interest just isn't compounding? too much you know how have you been thinking about that Cause certainly there's the minimum payment and you could be doing more than that if you chose to yeah that's correct so uh it's kind of a uh a, a question of uh which one do you think you're going to get more so all right uh, when you pay down the debt you're going to get a guaranteed gain at whatever that interest rate is you know for me i, I want to say my student loan interest rate is somewhere around three point or sorry six point five percent so every every dollar I pay back, I'm basically getting a 6.5% return. At the same time, um, you know, if I'm using that money towards investing or something that's going to help perhaps have potential to grow in the future, and if I'm getting more than 6.5% in return over the long term, then I've kind of come up, come out on top. So I'm making that calculation on my own. And I have, despite of what we're going through right now, um, and what we're seeing the markets do right now, I have uh, a lot of faith in the uh, American economy. And I think over the long term, you know, once we have this COVID-19 virus beat, I think the economy will come back. And uh, eventually, I, I'm, my, my guess is that I'm going to get more than a 6.5% return on the dollar for uh, every dollar I choose to invest instead of paying back the student debt. And that's how I'm making my calculations at the moment. Well, I guess it's this uh, really parlays into kind of where we're at right now. I've, I've um, have quite a few physicians that I work with and talk with. And I was talking to one earlier today where he could literally work as much as he wants. I mean, he has so much work he can do because he's on 1099 and does ER related things. So he is, he has way more work than he could handle. Whereas there are other physicians um, that are on the other end of the spectrum, like, like yourself, it sounded like when we were talking pre that you don't have a whole lot of work coming your way right now. And so this can hurt a lot of independent practices and, um, and, and some people and some companies might have to make some really tough decisions. So um, in light of that, Bo, you know, what, what, how are you thinking about this, this current situation and cash cushion and protecting yourself now that you are in attending um, and, and um, maybe you'll be making at least a resident salary um, even with some cuts? Yeah, so that's a very interesting, right? Certain specialties are definitely going to be, um, I don't want to say benefiting, but uh, they're, they're going to have a lot more work, uh, ER being one, pulmonary, ICU, critical care, uh, internal medicine, you know, these are going to be the specialties that are going to be really needed. Um, and then there's a lot of subspecialties or, you know, like a subspecialty surgery and uh, also what I do um, that you know, we are seeing a lot of our patient volume go down uh, the longer this crisis drags out. Um, I think, I don't think we'll ever be out of work entirely because, um, you know, our, our skill set is such that it's always going to be needed. And if, if this thing does it explode into, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the apocalyptic uh, scenes that we, we were currently seeing in Italy, perhaps no matter what your training is, you're going to be uh, drafted to help out uh, within the hospital on the wars in the ICU. Um, 
that said, um, you know, we could always prepare um, for uh, unexpected crises like this. So I'm actually not doing anything any different than what I've recommended to my readers before. So the first thing I recommend is built up an emergency fund. And you really should be doing that, whether it's good times or bad times. And uh, my recommendation is somewhere around six-month living expenses. Not, not your income, but what it costs for you to live, um, which is a lot lower than most physicians' six-month salary income. Um, so <clears throat> once you have that built up, what I'm choosing to do is uh, kind of, <clears throat> given our prior discussion about my faith in the American economy, I'm actually um, increasing my uh, monthly auto investments that I'm putting into the stock market. Um, and the reason for that is just like I said, I think, you know, very rarely do we have a crisis where the endpoint is so well defined and it's, mm -hmm. you know, the real quick, there will be an antiviral, there will be an effective vaccine at some point in the future to this virus. Mm -hmm. You know, the real question is just how, how much longer do we have to wait? So that puts the endpoint to the crisis, right? So to me, you know, that tells me that I, I could continue to do uh, increase my investments and uh, in, in the long term, what should come out uh, on the positive side. Um, the, the, one of the things that's making that a little easier to do is um, all the, uh, the shuttering of non-essential businesses and all the social distancing measures here, especially in the state of New York, as you know, is the epicenter mm -hmm. uh, currently. So because of those things, my expenses have dropped dramatically as well. So it made it much easier for me to come up with the uh, extra money I wanted to invest into the markets at this time. Mm. Um, I do implore everyone to kind of kind of review your contracts. Um, I recently looked over my own contract just to make sure that if, if this thing keeps going, that I'm still going to have a job, um, you know, come summer. And I, I think, you know, given my contract terms, I feel relatively secure in my income stream. And that's how I'm choosing to continue with what I'm doing. You know, I, th I think those are all really, really good points. And I guess um, what I, I would emphasize from my perspective to everybody is every, about on average, once a decade, we have an opportunity like this one. And who knows how, how low things will get. Um, certainly, many, many, many sectors are under pressure. Whether you're, you're a physician or you are um, a realtor or you are a financial advisor or what have you, um, man, if you can be lean and, and still continue to save, um, these, these are the opportunities that only come around once every 10 years. From my study of it, um, it's literally nine opportunities, including this one, um, over the last 100 years. So very rare. You know, it might be another decade before we see something like this again. So, yeah. And, and I would actually, um, you know, I've been getting a lot of questions from uh, readers of uh, Future Proof MD and uh, also just family and friends, you know, um, the real question is a lot of people are wanting to wait. They're like, okay, the, the market's still you know, going down, right? I should just have my money ready when it's hitting the bottom. What I would caution against is, um, you know, it's really difficult to time the market. I'm sure if you talk to 100 people, there's probably five or six that's done it successfully over the years. Uh, but to do that um, consistently over decades is very difficult. So I'm not really 
you know, holding my cash out on the sidelines and waiting to jump in when the, you know, Dow hits a certain number. Uh, what I'm doing is just, you know, I set my monthly and weekly auto investments and just let it go and just increase the, uh, the, uh, the amount I'm doing on a, on a regular basis. Well, and so much of that, I think, uh, depends on, on uh, someone's stage of life. Obviously, someone, someone older um, may not be able to take that kind of risk. Um, but it just, just kind of depends on, on where someone is, is at. Um, so it sounds like just to sum up from what you're saying that you think, you know, kind of keeping six months in reserves that, that hasn't changed your mind, you know, to increase that sum, um, and essentially do more and invest more and do more if, if at all possible. Does that pretty well sum up kind of what your thoughts, thoughts are yeah. on this, on the situation? Yeah, for, for someone like me who's a, a early career physician who just started my job, I don't, you know, I don't anticipate retiring in the next 10 years. So I, I, uh, that is exactly my position. Yep. And okay. obviously, uh, when, with physicians in their uh, different stages of their career, the considerations may change. So has, has this um, outbreak, this, this change in, in our economy, has it, has it changed any outlook at all for you, you know, in terms of how, how you're looking at the world, not just financially, but just, just anything in general, you know, how, how you view your profession as a physician, um, anything like that that you want to share with us? Um, I think, I think the, I think a lot of people are probably becoming a little more introspective since they're with all the social distancing that we're doing, they have a lot more time to think about, you know, the meaning of what we're doing. And I think, um, I think, uh, I haven't really changed much. I always thought that being a physician or even any other healthcare, uh, worker, you know, your job is really more than just earning a paycheck. It's, uh, it's always been like that for me. It's, uh, uh, you know, as far as uh, from the bigger picture approach, your job is really helping people, right? And we're seeing a lot of that on the internets and around us of what people are doing um, to help each other in times of need. Um, sure, there's always going to be stories about how people are taking advantage of the situation and how ugly um, some individuals can be in, in times of crisis. But I think overall, um, it's uh, really restoring my faith in humanity. Um, when, to see people come together in uh, times like this. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's, it's wonderful. Really. I see lots of things on, on Facebook when I'm on there from time to time, just of support for the physician community and nurses and, and the whole medical community in general. And a lot of people that are very appreciative for everything that, that physicians are doing. Um, yeah. And I know, Bo, that I would be remiss without mentioning for a little bit about Future Proof MD. And um, now that you've kind of dug into to, um, your, your practice, that um, you've, you've relaunched with a bunch of new blog posts recently, one, um, staying calm in a market crash and the student loan interest waiver an article on that, another one on, on free crocs. And another one on on the great COVID nineteen recession. Um, and any thoughts or any blog posts that you want to bring our attention to on the site? Um, yeah, I think uh, right now the <laughs> the the moment is really uh, telling us to focus on how we respond to this uh, COVID nineteen pandemic. So that's why uh, I recently wrote the article about the recession that's incoming and uh, how we should um, how I think 
um, medical professionals can react uh, in, a, in a fashion to kind of secure our financial future. Um, so that's uh, what I chose to focus on in the near term. Um, and in the long term, it's, uh, it took about six months for me to kind of get settled into my job and really start thinking about relaunching Future Proof MD. And just uh, a brief uh, his history of the blog, I, I launched it in 2015 when I was a, a, a resident in radiology. And um, when I went into IR fellowship, the schedule just became completely unmanageable. And I essentially had to pause all activities associated with the blog in order to make sure I'm gonna be a well-trained interventional radiologist. Uh, luckily, that's uh, behind me now. So I'm thinking about um, kind of relaunching the blog and I'm slowly doing that, as you've mentioned. Uh, one of the things that's gonna happen over time is as I transition out of the trainee role, uh, there's gonna be more articles and blog posts about the transition and then what it's like to become an early career physician uh, and there's going to be some articles about what it's like to become an early career interventional radiologist in particular. Um, so as, as my life is progressing and my, my uh, situation changes, the blog is going to change and the, the topics discussed are going to change as well. I'm going to do my very best to try to keep everything as brief as they've always been. My focus has always been writing very, very short articles where people can kind of glance at um, you know, in between patient appointments, if you will. Um, but as you know, our world is very complex and I've noticed that my articles are getting longer and longer. Um, so we'll see. We ramble on as we get older, I guess. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, any other future thoughts, Bo, you want to leave with us as we wrap up for the day? Yeah, I just, uh, you know, we're, we're going through a rough time, uh, in this country and around the world. Um, it's a good time to band together and uh, uh, be helpful to one another. Um, and um, I think it's, uh, it's a good time to kind of reflect on the, what are the positive things in our lives and try to uh, put our efforts towards making those things even better, right? And, and just when, when things are really hurting, just remember, you know, whatever this is, it will pass, right? Um, and one of the one of the favorite things I, I like to share these days is I, I saw this posting online. It says, "This too shall pass. Mm -hmm. It might pass like a kidney stone, but it will pass." <laughs> yes, yes, this too shall pass, for sure. Um, well, gosh, Bo, thank you so much for for being on. And, and if people have more questions, they want to see more posts, where would be the best way to find you and reach out to you? Uh, yeah, come out, uh, visit me at uh, futureproofmd.com. Uh, it's uh, futureproofmd.com. All right, there you are, my friends. Wraps up another episode for today. Thank you both so much for being with us. And especially on, on behalf of both of us, really want to thank those of you physicians and, and if any nurses are listening, for those of you serving on the front lines right now in uh, this battle. So thank you for your sacrifices and, and doing what you're doing to help protect the rest of us. For the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, this is Dave Denniston. Remember, my friends, remember to slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle.